Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I want to share a message entitled, The Integrity of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1. Now while you're opening your Bibles up there, I want to give you some information about uh, uh, Erica Bolt's funeral. Uh, will be here on Tuesday. So here's the information about that. Um, she went home to be with the Lord this past Thursday. And uh, so uh, on Monday, uh, there'll be a viewing at Carmona Bolin in Whiting. That's at 66 Lacey Road. And uh, so if you want to go to the viewings, it'll be on Monday from 2 to 4 and also 6 to 8 p.m. And the funeral service will be here at 12 o'clock on uh, Tuesday. And then she will be uh, buried in New, uh, the Veterans Cemetery out in Arneytown uh, right after the service. And uh, so if you want to be a part of that, uh, certainly want to be praying for the family. want to be praying especially for Frank and uh, pray for the service that uh, God will bless in a great way as we remember her life. But we rejoice in the new life that she has in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so that all those things will be going on on Monday and Tuesday. All right. Matthew chapter 1 in uh, verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon... Unto Christ are fourteen generations. Uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she, she brought, had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning, to be able to uh, read the Word of God together, uh, be able to contemplate and study it, Lord, and uh, allow the Spirit of God to give us a sincere application of the Word into our life. Uh, I pray, God, that uh, we would not uh, ever forget uh, the great um, uh, truth that Jesus Christ, God Himself, came into this world when he was born of Mary and uh, took on human flesh so that he could dwell among, amongst mankind to become the perfect sacrifice for all the sins of the world. And we're thankful, Lord, that as we entering, we're entering into this Christmas season, Lord, we can be reminded and not just reminded, but rejoice in the birth of Jesus Christ. 
And so, Lord, help us to find some practical truths as we study together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 17 is our text verse. It says, And all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. And so it's just interesting that the chapter one of Matthew uh, records the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This thing popping, is it? Yeah. What's that? Okay. Uh, I may have to move it around. We got a new microphone. We haven't figured it out yet. Amen. It's going to be like other microphones. I'll end up throwing it out here. Amen. Dr. Malone used to say one of the blessings of heaven is there won't be any sound systems there. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But anyway, I wanted to share a message entitled The Integrity of Christmas. And I mean that in reference to all that took place in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Son of God into this world and those that were involved with the process through which God would bring His Son into this world uh, demonstrate for us and really show forth a spirit of integrity in all their dealings and their responses to everything. Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus in verse 1 and continues on through chapter 1 and, and establishes that. He establishes basically the legal right of Jesus Christ to have the, be on the throne of David. And uh, he is dealing with uh, genealogy, tracing back through Joseph, and, uh, but he is very clear in establishing the fact that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, he'll outline the genealogy of Mary that establishes that bi uh, biological tracing back to a virgin who would conceive and bring forth this son. But he, if he was going to be uh, accepted and actually... Uh, 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 justified in declaring the things that he would reveal to mankind as far as sitting on the throne of David, he would need a legal access to that throne. And basically what Matthew is doing is outlining that for us and giving us a summary of what it would be as far as reference to Christ coming into this world. Uh, it, the verse 17, our text verse, can be summed up in this way. Because uh, it tells us here that from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David unto carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And it can be summed up this way. First of all, from Abraham to David it is a, the family of David rising. And uh, God established and declared this is what it would take place uh, in establishing the genealogy of Christ. There would be that rising to that position of the throne, being on the throne that God would establish. Certainly that would be between Abraham and David. Secondly, you would see the family of David is flourishing. And so during the times here, it states that from David until the carrying away of Babylon was a time of flourishing as a kingdom and under David's rule. And so uh, uh, the, we have these generational things going on here. And then thirdly, 
is the family of David declining to a poor carpenter. And uh, so you, you, if you look at these, these breakdowns of these 14 generations, and I'll just throw this out there. If you study the generations, it's not exactly generations. Every person that was on the throne of David, it's the key individuals that are listed for us uh, establishing these generations. Because God wants us to understand of the coming of Christ into this world and revolved around his, his promise to Abraham and that literally the throne of David, the reign of David, his family would rise up, they would flourish, but then they would fade off the scene. And literally when Christ would come, he would be uh, born into a meek and lowly home of a carpenter. And so uh, he established that through these genealogies. Matthew Henry, in his commentary dealing with verse 17, gives us this insight in reference to what is going on. First of all, uh, he gives us this insight that the promise was made to Abraham and his seed. Now, we want to look at a couple of verses here, but Genesis chapter 12, uh, is we often quote that verse or mention that verse and identify with that verse, but in, in Genesis chapter 12, in uh, verse 3, it says, And I will bless them that bless thee. That is, that is a major concept and principle that the world has forgotten and mankind refuses. God made a promise to Abraham, they, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He does not state that if you bless Israel because you agree with Israel. It says if they, you would bless the descendants of Abraham, then God would bless, them, bless you. And so the families, the promise that God made in reference to the coming of the Messiah, the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 7... We see that the dominion, because if he's going to have a kingdom, there's going to be a dominion. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed, but the dominion was given to David and his seed. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, I put, should have put these verses up there for you on the screen, but that's all right. We'll get over there real quick and find it. It's in the Bible. That's for sure. And I wouldn't have put it down if it wasn't. Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. And it says, uh, When the, thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. And I, he says, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So God makes a great promise here in this verse 17 our text in reference to the different generations. There is a promise that's made to Abraham and his seed, but there's dominion that is given to David and his seed that there would be a kingdom uh, that would be established and it would be established based on God's authority and God's willingness to raise up David and his descendants. But beyond that, the Messiah would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In Psalm 89 and verse 3, 
says, I have made a covenant with my chosen, and I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. We know that ultimately is a prophetic statement in reference to the reign of Jesus Christ. And so the Messiah is fulfilled, the promises of that king, that Messiah that would come, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so uh, Matthew tells us, remember this, the generations are from Abraham to David, are 14 generations, from David unto the carrying away of Babylon, are 14 generations, and from carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. You say, well, that sounds wonderful, and that sounds pretty exciting, but what does it mean? Uh, what what that, does that have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with what we celebrate as Christmas because it establishes the integrity of all that we believe, all that we share, all that we hold to in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ declares, reveals, and establishes that everything that God had said to come true has come true. And so what do we have what can we glean from this? First of all, I see that there's character that's revealed. Character that is revealed. The integrity of Christmas is character that is revealed. First of all, the character of purity, because it says, now the, in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Purity, before they came together. And uh, that's so important for us to understand and hold to, especially in a world that just seems to be bent on being just as wicked and just as defiled as they possibly can be. The Christian needs to approach Christmas in light of the integrity of Christmas is that God demands holiness and God demands purity. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 8, says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, it would be nice if you could hear some truth on the networks once in a while, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those these, I'm sorry, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Everything about the birth of Christ, the announcement of the birth of Christ, the reality of what would take place when Christ would come uh, is all wrapped around that statement in Philippians of what's true, what's honest, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, whatever is of a good report. The virtue of the reality of the birth of Christ permeates everything that we are and everything that we are, should be as a society. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 5 uh, through verse 9, tells us, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, 
For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And so very clearly the Bible demands and requires of us to live a life that demonstrates and illustrates purity. In everything about the birth of Christ, uh, it demonstrates the purity of God in reference to those characters, those individuals that Christ, God would use to bring Jesus into this world. And so purity, Matthew Henry said this in reference to this matter of purity. He said, this way to pres- uh, the way to preserve the peace of the church is to preserve its purity. And uh, I, I just, I'm alarmed by the, the uh, uh, articles that you read of church leaders falling into all kinds of immoral sin. I'm alarmed at churches that are embracing all kinds of immoral conduct because it's political advantageous for them to do so. Uh, wait a minute. We, we defy the very peace of God to be resting upon us when we ignore the integrity of who Jesus Christ is and what he demonstrated and those involved in his coming into this world demonstrated this matter of purity. Church, we are to be pure. We are to stay off the internet. We're to stay away from these things that that defile our minds. We are not to allow our children and our our young people to be uh, connected with those things that are defiling and impure. We are to be a pure people. If Christmas identifies anything at all, it certainly is the purity and the holiness of God. I read this quote. They didn't have an author author down with it. It's an unknown author. Purity is not just a way we act, but it's our entire conversation. It is our thoughts, words, and deeds that show our true heart's intent. See, everybody thinks, well, purity, well, I'll just, I'll just do this or I'll do that or I'll refrain from doing this. No, purity is our, the very soul of everything that we are. And you think, when you think of Mary being chosen by God to bring his son into this world, the character trait she showed forth was that of purity and cleanness, and holiness, and righteousness. And certainly Joseph, in chapter 1 of Matthew, is identified as having the same character trait of holiness and purity. And so Leonard Ravenhill said this, If you want to be popular, preach happiness. If you want to be unpopular, preach holiness. I'll tell you, I've had more people get mad over the years because of preaching on righteous, holy living. I've had more people get mad at me over the years because I won't go along with trends in society. But listen, I'd rather, I'd rather be on the side of that which is holy and right before God than be on the side of a world that denies the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And so purity, character revealed, shows forth the integrity of Christmas. And so purity. I see also spirituality. Spirituality in reference to the fact, it says uh, she was found of child, I'm sorry, found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
spiritual. This is, listen, the birth of Jesus Christ was more than just a physical event. It was a spiritual move of God upon Mary to bring forth his son into this world. She was uh, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit of God and she was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so God empowered her and God enabled her to be able to bring his son into this world. In Exodus chapter 31, in uh, verse 3, says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all matter of workmanship. You know, when, God, when you talk about living a life that shows forth the character of God, it is a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It is a life that is filled with the wisdom that only we can get from God. It is a life that understands the knowledge of who Christ is and knowing that whatever work God wants us to accomplish, it is God who gives us that spirit and instills in us that opportunity to be able to work that out for His glory. And so she was found with child of the Holy Ghost and how we need a filling and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 14 tells us this, and so for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of uh, the sons of God. And so the amazing thing is this, one of the things we can learn about the character of Christmas in reference to pure integrity is that it is a spiritual encounter with God, walking in the Spirit, uh, making decisions in reference to the conviction that God presses on our hearts according to the knowledge of what we find in the Word of God. So character revealed was purity and spirituality. Duncan Campbell said this. He said, The desire for heart purity is a creation of the Holy Spirit at work in the heart. Uh, how desperately we need a working of the Spirit of God in our heart. How desperately we need the conviction of God to rest upon us. How desperately we do we need God's Spirit directing, guiding, and enabling us to live the way God wants us to live rather than we trying to live based on what our concept of what God is. And so there has to be this character of spirituality and certainly Christmas shows forth what a spirit of integrity is in that Mary was willing to surrender herself totally unto the Spirit of God to be overshadowed and conceive Jesus Christ in her heart. So I see character revealed in reference to purity, spirituality, and then I see in reference to integrity. It says, and that this Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being, a, I, I, what a, a, a tremendous statement in reference to the character of Joseph. He was a just man. You know, in Luke chapter 1, we read about the, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of uh, John the Baptist. But it says this about them in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abbi, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And here it is. They were both righteous before God, walking 
in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Uh, you talk about integrity. Uh, the, the parents of John the Baptist showed forth integrity, showed forth what it was to be just. Uh, Joseph, in chapter 1, where we read in Matthew, was identified as a just man. Why? Because he was not willing to make a public example of his espoused wife. Uh, he respected her integrity. He respected her purity. He respected her spirituality. He respected her as a person. He respected her in reference to the revelation of God working in her life. And he was a man who would not take advantage of his wife or abuse her in any way. He loved her and was just man. He would not make her a public example. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about living our life for the glory of God, identifying uh, uh, that character trait that is with Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Uh, we can complain and gripe about all we want about human society and the world that we live in, but men, where, where is the integrity? Where do we walk? How do we walk? How do we live? How we demonstrate the integrity of God in our life and certainly as an example before our households and before those in our, in our, on our jobs and in our communities. So there's character that's revealed in reference to the birth of Christ. Secondly, I see there's confidence that's restored. Notice in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse uh, 20, in uh, verse 21, says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so we see confidence restored. Notice that confidence restored in the life of Joseph was confirmed by the word, by the word of God. In uh, verse 20, it says, As he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, There is a word that came to him from God, uh, through this angel. And so we have, listen, you look at the world, it, you can be devastated in this world. Uh, things, I, I tell you, I've never th seen things like they are in, uh, uh, we talk about 2020. Uh, we'll be glad when 2020 will get over. I will be glad when 2020 gets over, but I'm concerned about 2021. Amen. And, uh, you know, January 1st isn't just going to eliminate all the problems of 2020. And, uh, but I know this, that we can have confidence that is stirred and restored into us by the truths that are found in the Word of God. We need to get a word from God. In Psalm 119 and uh, verse 89, several verses in Psalm 119 I thought it would be good to look at uh, to remind us of what God has so stated in reference to His Word. Psalm 119 and verse 89 says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, and now listen, what God said to Joseph some 2,000 years ago is still valid in 2020. What promises God has given to men and women and boys and girls in past generations, you realize this, 
that it's valid in the world that we live in today. And so the Word of God is ever settled in heaven. Notice in Psalm 119 and verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so uh, what's guiding you? Is it your political positions? As a Christian, what, what, what's stirring you about living? Is it your uh, athletic abilities? Is it your financial uh, wizardry? Uh, what, what, it, what is it that, that is driving you and directing your life? The reality is a, the integrity of Christmas is the confirmation of the Word of God as being a source of light to my path. He's showing me the way that I should go. How should I do? How do I find that out? By what God has said. Any decision that you make in your life that violates a principle that is in the Word of God, you have chosen to direct your life rather than the Word of God. And Joseph was willing to allow the Word to be confirmed in his heart what was going on in the life of Mary. Notice in verse 140 of Psalm 119, it says, Thy Word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. You know, God does not have anything in His Word that tells us and guides us and directs us that's bad for us. You might not understand why God wants you to do whatever it may be, but I, you don't have to understand it. All you have to do is believe it. All you need to do is respond to it. Be confident that what God states is true. Look at verse 160 in Psalm 119. It says, Thy Word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And so here's Joseph. He's concerned about the situation that he's dealing with, with his spouse, wife, Mary, being found with child. And the thing that gives him confidence is the confirmation of the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Some people say, I read that Bible before. I've been out soul winning and I've tried to talk to people. I've had people say, I've read that Bible before. And I was like, well, you need to read it again. Because apparently it didn't do you any good. Amen. <laughs> you cannot sound the depths of what God's word has to say for you. You can read passages and as you read through them, every year it comes up on Christmas. I'm like, oh boy. How many times do you preach on Christmas? How many messages can you get on Christmas? Uh, what is it that God wants me to re share about the Christmas story that everybody hasn't already heard? And I was praying the other day, and God, I was reading through the different passages. I read through this, and God laid this on my heart, the integrity. There's integrity in reference to Christmas. There's integrity based on what, everything that God has said. And we have confirmation in reference to what God has said based on the fact that we don't shy away from what we've already read or what we've already studied or what we already know because the Word of God is deeper than what my thoughts are. And I need to be confirmed in my heart what is it God wants for me and what He'll do for me. So confidence restored. Not only was confirmed by the Word, but there was a, He was conscious of life. Because the angel tells him uh, she is conceived of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son. Uh, conscious of life. 
Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And uh, know this, that God has promised eternal life for us. He has promised that he would deliver us. He has promised not just to give us a home in heaven, but he has promised to bless us in this life that we live in. There's trials, there's difficulties, there's things we need to overcome. What, just track the life of Joseph and Mary from the time she conceives and the, spirit, the angel confirms what God has said and what God was doing. Watch and confirm in your heart the difficulties, the, the, the trials, the questioning. The suffering and ultimately the dying of Jesus Christ. How do we figure our life can be any better or any easier? But yet there's life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have become new. Why? Because a conscious awareness that we're, when you talk about Jesus Christ, you're talking about life. I like what Jonathan Edwards said. He says, I am resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I find people start thinking about things differently when they find that their life is coming to an end. I, I find that people's thought process in, in reference to how they think they should live changes when they know their life is coming to an end. It's amazing. I was thinking this morning, some of the foolish things I did when I was 17, 18 years old. I should be dead. I'm glad God is a gracious God. And I was thinking about the stupid things that I did that jeopardized my life. It jeopardized my life. You wouldn't even get me to entertain those thoughts today. I'm not going to be that stupid and do stuff like that again. Amen. What, what, what was the problem? I assumed that I had life at that age. I wasn't conscious of the reality of what life is at that age. And that's the struggle with young people. They're not conscious of what life is. And they got to get out of the realm of being ignorant of what life is and come into faith in Christ to know that, wait a minute, life is more than just entertainment and, and doing whatever you feel like. And so there was a conscious, I like what he said. So he is confirmed by the word, conscious of life. I see also, oh, I, wait a minute, I got a couple more quotes in here. C.S. Lewis said this, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood become a matter of life and death to you. You know, Jesus Christ coming into this world was a matter of life and death. The truth and the reality of him coming in his world was that he was coming for the purpose of dying. And he was coming for the purpose of dying so that if we trust him as our Savior, if we die in the faith, we still have life. There's not only confirmed by the word and conscious of life, but there's conviction of salvation. 
It says in verse 21, For he shall save his people from their sins. Conviction of salvation. God, knowing that God is not willing that any should perish. That brother, that sister, that uncle, that aunt, that parent, that child, that grandchild. What, whatever, the, whatever the title you can tag to that person's name. That is somebody that Jesus Christ came into this world to save. Amen. Consciousness of salvation. David Jeremiah said this. Saving us is the greatest and most concrete demonstration of God's love. The definite display of His grace throughout time and eternity. We often think, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we quote that verse in John 3, 16 over and over again, and we can rattle it off real fast. Our children can say it. If you go in their school, they'll say it. You look at the kids in church, they can say that verse. We often say that. But do you realize when you say that, that is the deepest conviction of reality of why Jesus Christ came into this world. He came to bring conviction on our hearts for salvation. And so we must be saved. So I see the integrity of Christmas, character revealed. I see there's confidence restored. But then in verse 22 and 23, I see the covenant remains. 22 and says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. I'm sorry, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And so God's prophecy is true. And everything that you read about the Christmas story, everything that we read about the life of Christ, every experience that is revealed of his life and his offering of his life for you and me is for the purpose of fulfilling God's prophecy. Why? Because that means that everything that God said in the Old Testament in reference to what He expects out of mankind, what man can experience, what are the expectations, whatever Christ would accomplish, it's absolutely 100% true. There is nothing in this book that's a lie. There is nothing in this book that is stated that is a falsehood. Everything that God said would be, and everything that was experienced in the New Testament was to prove the fact that God's prophecies are true. John chapter 19 in verse 36 says, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And it's just interesting when you read the, about his birth, you read about his death, you read about his resurrection, whatever it is you're reading about Jesus Christ, were all statements of prophecy of what would take place in the future. So what does that mean to me? That means what God has said, what's going to happen tomorrow is true too. The prophecies concerning everything that in reference to the end days are going to come to pass, just like the Bible says. And I have the confirmation on that because the fact of everything God said that was going to happen in the past has come to pass. And so there's a covenant that still remains. God's prophecies are still in the book, and God's prophecies are still true. Then I see not only that, but God's presence is real. 
He says, you'll call his name Emmanuel. And God's presence, knowing that God is with us and knowing that he won't abandon us. And all you often think that we're all alone in this world. But the truth of the matter is that we're never alone because he is Emmanuel. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. The reality of the presence of God, Jesus Christ coming into this world, uh, is, is seen uh, not only promised in Scripture, but seen in his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse uh, 17. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul acknowledges the fact that no matter what went on, the presence of God was real. When he was on the ship and was sinking and going down in Acts, there was the presence of God that was real in his life. The thing that makes a difference in our lives at Christmas is to be reminded that the presence of God is real. Uh, he is in this place. Why? Because he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in the midst. The reality of the presence of God. And then I see the covenant remains because God's prophecy is true, God's presence is real, and God's promise is sure. Uh, which being interpreted is God with us. And so Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we are reminded, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, knowing that his promises are sure. If he has stated he's not going to leave us nor forsake us, then we hold on to that promise. John 14, uh, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's why Paul says, I'm confident rather to say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because God has promised that he would take us into his possession. God has promised that he would not leave us, that he would always be with us, and his promises are absolutely sure. The integrity of Christmas is whatever promise God has made is sure. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son he called his name Jesus. The character of Joseph revealed the reality of confidence because of what God could stir and, and fill in our hearts based on the promises or the covenants of God. And so he had no issue, he had no problem that after this confirmation took place and the covenant was experienced, he just woke up out of his sleep and just did what God told him to do. And so the integrity of Christmas is assures us that everything that God is and everything that he promises, everything that he commands, actually does work in our life. All we have to do is wake out of our sleep. 
we got to stop slumbering and sleeping and start waking up to the reality of who we are and what we are as Christians. And then demonstrate and share that and live that out in the world that we live in. Why? Because they need to see that confirmation. They need to know your character. They need to know the covenants of God. That God loves them and cares for them and he'll save them and they'll see all that through your life. We see all that through the life of Joseph. And certainly they can see that through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. We're thankful that uh, the reality of the integrity of Christmas is that everything is said about the birth of Christ is absolutely true. And Lord, we have truth to be able to share with others to give them hope and Lord uh, that hope that they can experience through faith in Christ will wipe away their fears and anxieties in life and God will give them purpose and direction and we thank you for that we praise you I'm thankful that Joseph once he received all these things as instruction and witness and everything into his life it was easy for him just to get up and get, get going and fulfilling what you commanded him to do. I pray, Lord, we might find that peace, that assurance, that strength to be able to rise up and move ahead for the glory of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand.